And uh, so you know, that's, that's what happens. So would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Almighty God, I ask that you would pour down your love upon us, that you would um, move like a mighty wind, that your love might stir our hearts, that you might stir the passions within us, that we might be deeply loved and deeply loved. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So it was fall of 2004, and I was moving my younger, my little sister, Lindsay, into college with my family at Millican University, and as we were moving her things into her room, um, I got to introduce to her sweet mate, um, this girl named, or woman, I should say, this woman named Amy, that there's something about her that just caught my eye. And uh, it was just one of those things, a casual, quick meeting, but uh, I always remembered her face. It was just gorgeous. And, um, and so every time I would visit Lindsay for the next four years, I would just hope that maybe I would get a chance to, to run into Amy. Um, Amy and Lindsay and a group of, uh, of girls became really good friends, and I never really ever considered um, dating her or asking her out. She was a good friend of my sister's and kind of off limits and whatnot. And Lindsay ended up uh, graduating in 2008 and uh, really didn't get to see her much after that, a whole lot anyway. But as God worked things out, our paths crossed again, and uh, I was uh, able to then ask her out and uh, court her, if you will. And uh, I was able to share with her, hey, every time I went to Milliken, I was looking for you. Um, and it just so happened that one day she said yes to becoming my wife, and uh, she is my beautiful bride today. And, and that is part of our love story. And I want to talk about love today because I think it is one of the most, if not the most, powerful force in our world. And specifically, I want to talk about romantic love. We don't talk about romantic love a whole lot in the church. In fact, this may be the only sermon you've heard where the primary scripture is Song of Solomon. It is not one, a book that gets used and referenced a whole lot, maybe on Sunday mornings. But I want to talk about romantic love. I'm going to pull the audience here really quick. This is dangerous. But can someone shout out to me the greatest love story of all time? Come on. What is the greatest love story of all time? Romeo and Juliet, thank you for saying Jesus in church, always the right answer, right? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, right? That's what, the, what most people would say would be the, the most or the greatest love story of all time. And for some people, you, you love it. Other people don't like it because it's a tragedy, right? It's a tragedy as, they, as love actually brings them both to death, right? But if you think about our culture and just world culture, world history, love has been, romantic love has been a driving force in our arts, right? Think about just some of the movies slash and books that uh, are our favorite, are all based on this love. You have Romeo and Juliet, Casablanca, and the, by the way, these are no um, order as far as when they came about. This is just off my head. Pride and Preju Prejudice, you got Jane Eyre, um, The Princess Bride. I mean, everyone knows, as you wish, it means I love you, right? Um, Gone with the Wind. Um, if you're a Disney Plus person, you maybe have watched the, uh, Spielberg's West Side Story lately. Uh, another great uh, love story bringing, uh, crossing two cultures. You have When Harry Met Sally. Or what about a little, a little bit more recent, Titanic? Jack could have fit on that door, right? You have The Notebook, and how tear-jerking is that movie, right? 
For me, my favorite has always been Braveheart. Love Braveheart and the love story that goes in that. And do we even need to get into Disney, right? Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Rapunzel, Aladdin, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. Walt Disney built a, an empire based on true love, right? Love is a powerful, powerful force. And those are just made-up stories that we love. What about some of the real stories? Anyone familiar with Mark Antony and Cleopatra? Almost a real-life Romeo and Juliet where they ended up killing themselves because they thought the other was dead. They loved each other so much. Bonnie and Clyde? Maybe. What about Helen of Troy and Paris? Our world is full of love stories. It is a driving force, this romantic love. Most of our songs and our literature, our movies, our TV shows are all kind of based around gaining love, finding love, gaining love, and then losing love and, and the loss that, and the pain that comes with that. It's hard to listen to any music, see any shows, reading books that don't have love as part of the story. Because I think this love is central to who we are. Central to us as a human race. Today, we are continuing on this Lenten study as we go through and look at uh, Lent through the lens of Les Miserables. And in Les Miserables, we find this love triangle that is kind of one of the main central themes, pillars of this movie. And it's this triangle between Marius and Cosette. Cosette, if you remember, is the daughter of Fantine who Jean Valjean takes under his wing. And as she grows up, she ends up meeting this man named Marius. And not only do they fall in this deep love, but then you have this third woman, Eponine, who is madly, deeply in love with Marius as well. And you have this, this love, tri love triangle here. And the thing is that Marius barely even recognizes, acknowledges Eponine. In fact, even asks Eponine to help him with his love cassette. And in this triangle, you see kind of the two sides of this romantic love. You see the hope of love as Marius and Cosette all carry on. The, the hope of the story as the, the story of Les Mis can be such a, a dark and depressing story. It ends with the hope of the love of Marius and Cosette as they begin to build this new life together. But you also see the tragedy of love in Eponine. As she loves this man deeply who doesn't even notice her. I believe in Les Miserables, you see the depth of this romantic love, and I want to call it something different. I want to call it passion. Because there are all sorts of different definitions of love, and we use that love very, uh, the word love very flippantly in our culture. But I want to look at this love here that's represented in this movie that is a passionate form of love. That is not a crush, it's not an infa infatuation, it is this deep, passionate love. And passion is defined as a strong and barely controlled emotion, if controlled at all. It's this emotion that takes over us. 
as we love someone else. It's this passion in us. We describe passion as like a burning flame, right? Burning with heat. And it can provide warmth and energy, but it can also destroy, right? In Latin, where we get the word passion, it actually means to suffer, to endure. It means agony. Where we love someone with this passion so much that it hurts. And some of you know what I'm talking about. In fact, one of the best ways, if you've been a parent when you have a child, um, that, that love, that agony, the, all, there's this pit in your stomach. And if you've ever been deeply in love with someone, you know this feeling where there's just this pit in your stomach when you're away from that person. And there's also even, it doesn't even get really any better when you're with that person. You just love them so much, it hurts. That is this passion. That is this passion. And Marius and Cosette, as they fall in love with each other, there's a beautiful song that they sing. And they talk about how, how can we fall in love so fast? How did it happen so fast? You're my whole world. And they were passionately, madly, deeply in love with each other. And then there's Eponine, who sings a beautiful song, a tragically beautiful song called On My Own. And some of you are very familiar with this, and I'm going to just share some of the lyrics here. Um, because if I start saying more of them, some of you will start singing, and that's, we don't want that. But she starts off the song by talking about how she, when she's by herself and she's on my own, she pretends that she's with Marius. And he, she is in his arms, and the world looks beautiful, and there's light everywhere. But then when she opens her eyes, when she wakes up, she realizes she's only just pretending and the world is dark and drab, and he's not there. And she ends the song by saying this. She says, I love him. But every day I'm learning that all my life I've only been, pre been pretending. Without me, this world will go on turning. A world that's full of happiness that I have never known. I love him. I love him. I love him but only on my own. The tragedy of this woman who loves this man so deeply, so passionately, it hurts her every single day. He just longs for Mary, she longs for Marius to just look at her, to notice her, to love her, and yet his love is directed to someone else. And there's a time when she thinks about uh, getting in between Marius and Cosette, but ends up her love for Marius is so deep and so strong that she ends up picking a bullet for Marius so that he could live the life of happiness, that he could love who he wants to love, that he could really have that passionate love with Cosette, even though it meant that she would die. We just heard in scripture from 1 John that there's no greater love than someone who gives up their life for a friend, right? And here's Cosette, out of this romantic, passionate love, gives up her life so that Marius could live a happy life. 
The love that I'm talking about today has the force of a hurricane. It aches. It drives us. It's barely controllable. It's a type of love that the object, we would rather have the object of that love be happy and free, even if it means that we are without it. Do you get that? The object of this love, we would rather that object be happy and free rather than be with us if that's what was wanted, right? Can, you've heard the phrase, if you love something enough, you've got to let it go, right? That's that type of passionate love. We see this in the story of Beauty and the Beast. When, he finally, when the beast finally learns how to love, what does he do? He lets Belle go. He finally learned this deep, passionate, agonizing love, and he says, go, I will remain the beast forever. You go see your father, right? Romantic love, a powerful force. And yet it's one of those things where the church doesn't talk about romantic love a lot, and when we do, oftentimes we downplay its importance. But I want to suggest to you that God gave us this romantic love. He created us to love each other, to have passion for each other. And yes, when this love happens in its rightful place, it is beautiful. And yes, this love has torn down things. I mean, think about the destruction that this type of love has caused. It has caused wars, right? It has caused kings to fall. It has caused church to split. It has caused families to break apart. It has caused the wealthy to give it all up to be with their love. It's a powerful force. But it's also reached across barriers, cultural but ethnic, whatever it is, it has reached across barriers and brought people together. It is the most powerful force that we have, this love. And God gave it to us. He wants us to experience this love, to love this way. And I want to tell you that the reason why I know this is because this love is actually all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. You have David falling for Bathsheba, and that's in the negative sense, right? But if you've ever read the book of Ruth, you see the beautiful love story of Ruth and Boaz. If you're familiar with, in Genesis, the story of Jacob falling in love with Rachel, this is one of my favorite stories. And let me just read you some of the scripture here from the book of Genesis here. It says, Then Laban, who is Rachel's father, then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. I'm not sure what that means, but apparently uh, Jacob did not like the look of weak eyes. But it says, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. 
And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Jacob saw Rachel, was smitten by her, fell in love immediately. So went to her, her father, what can I do to marry Rachel? I will work for seven years for free so that I can have Rachel. And that seven years went by so quickly because he loved her so much. And if you know how this story goes, you know that when they got to their wedding night, Laban actually tricked Jacob had Leah, or not Leah, Leah, the, the oldest under the veil, and that's who he married first. And Jacob said, All right, I, I, will give me, I will work another seven years for Rachel's hand. And because he was smitten so much and so in love with Rachel, he worked for 14 years to marry her. 14 years. The Song of Solomon, this whole book in the Bible, and one of the reasons why you don't hear it on Sunday mornings a lot is because, to be honest, it's a little scandalous. But I want you to understand, it's a little scandalous, and it's part of Holy Scripture. You have this love poem, this love story between Solomon and his wife. And I'm going to read again, um, what was read, it says, set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Passion, fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging fame, flame, you know, that passion, that flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown. If one love all wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. You hear other parts of this book where it talks about the bride and the king, how they, they long for each other, how they can't stay away from each other, how they set up rendezvous to go out and so that they can be together and they can know each other in the biblical sense. It is a book all about this romantic, passionate love. This love is good. God gave it to us. We are supposed to feel this type of love towards each other. And I want to also suggest to you, as we are created in the image of God, that this is how God loves us. We often view God's love towards us or, or God as almost being dispassionate. Right? That God really doesn't have emotions. He is up there. He is above everything, Right? It is God, in fact, almost has to. He's God, right? So he can't choose not to love us. If he's a good, loving God, he has to love us. So therefore, he just loves us, and there's no emotion. There's no passion behind it. But friends, I don't think that's right. That God loves us fiercely, passionately, agonizingly. In fact, there is uh, many scripture where it talks about God being jealous for us. We always associate jealousy as kind of in the negative sense, but here is this God who loves us so much in this deep, passionate way that he gets jealous for us. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Think of passion, that fire for a, I'm sorry, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 
when God gives Moses the second commandment, says, you shall not have any other idols. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is passionate. He is jealous. He loves us so deeply. In fact, one of the main pictures that he gave for the, his love for his people was he asked his, his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And when she would betray that love to Hosea, he's saying, every time that happens, that's how I feel with my people, how they break my heart when they leave me. And then in the New Testament, we see the picture of the church and Jesus as the church being the bride of Christ. And how Jesus laid down his life for her, right? We have this picture, this picture of romantic, passionate love as a picture of how God loves us. Sometimes I think we hear the idea that God loves us so much that we forget how he loves us. Does it change your perspective of God? Does it change you look at him when you realize that God loves you like a violent hurricane? That he is chasing after you, that he is writing you love notes. He can't do, he can't do enough to try to get close to you to try to get near you, to try to bring you back, to, to try to get your love in return. The last scripture that was read this morning was a, the, probably the most popular scripture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Does it change how you hear that scripture? when you think of this type of romantic, passionate love. This fire, this all-consuming fire, right? For God so loved you so passionately that he gave up his son so that you and I could live. God doesn't love you because he has to. He loves you because it's in him. It's the emotion. It's agonizing. It's suffering. God loves you deeply, passionately. It moved him to do whatever it took to get you to be with him. Now let's bring this all the way to Lent and to Easter. You have heard Easter being called the passion of the Christ. The passion of that Christ. The same word that we use when we talk about romantic love because it is a, an emotional love so powerful. And it is this type of love that moved Jesus to the cross. It was this type of love that I believe that when Jesus got to the cross, he willingly said, here. That he accepted the agony of the nails. 
the agony of the crown of thorns, the agony of the spear, all of that he accepted because he so deeply loved you and I. God gave us the love, this romantic love, so that we might have a picture, a deeper understanding of how much he loves us. My friends, Jesus loved you so much, he gave it all. It says he joyfully, joyfully went to the cross, took on that suffering, that pain. Because when you love someone that much, that agony is nothing compared to having that person in your life. That agony is nothing compared to the powerful force of love that is poured out on that person. And here's the thing. Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you before you even said yes to him. He's putting that love out there and you get to choose it or you get to reject it. But he loves you so much it didn't matter to him. He was going to give you that choice no matter what and then let you be free. How will you respond to that love pouring over you, chasing you, hounding you, saying, come, I love you, be mine. As we transition from the cross to the church, if we are to be Christ-like, we are also supposed to love with this type of passion. That this romantic love that we see that sweeps across the world and changes hearts and lives and, and institutions and countries, and that, that powerful force, that is the force that the church is supposed to love with. And I will tell you that I think one of the hardest things to do as a Christian is to love people with this type of passion. Why? Because it's painful and we don't like to hurt. Let me give you an example of what I mean here. I've done youth ministry for, for a little bit now and I've had many youth who I've poured out a lot of stuff, a lot of my heart into and they will come to me and they'll tell me their problems and I'll say, hey, this is the way God wants you to live. And they go, they leave, and they actually go and they live the way they want to live. And life never gets better. And they come back to me and say, Michael, how, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And I say, well, this is what God wants for you. And they go off and they choose to live a different way. And they come back to me. And it's hard sometimes to, when they come back to listen to them. When I want to say, well, I told you so. If you would have just chosen God's way, you wouldn't have ended up this way, right? But that's not my role as a Christian. It's hard for me to listen to them because I care for them and I don't want to hear how badly they're hurting. Many of you probably have had this experience where there are loved ones in your life or friends in your life that have chosen to go down a path that you know is going to hurt them. And you've had a choice to make. Do I stay close? Or do I say, you know what, if you're going to choose to live that way, that's fine, but I am no longer going to associate myself with you. 
That we as a church, we have a tendency for those people who want to live outside of God's ways, we say, you know what, that's fine, you can go live that way, but I don't want anything to do with you. And we say that because it is too painful for us to stay close to someone who's going to continually hurt themselves because we love them so much, it hurts us when they hurt themselves. Does that make sense? It is so hard as a Christian somebody to sit by them while they make choices that are, are hurting themselves, that are destroying themselves, and instead of us leaving and getting away and sparing our own hearts, we stay right next to them in that pain, in that heartache, so that maybe one day when they choose to turn around like the younger son did, we would be there just as Jesus is there for us. This is what I want you to understand. Jesus loves you so much, he never leaves. How many times have I betrayed him? How many times have I said, Jesus, that's fine, but I'm going to go do things my way. And he's looking there like, Michael, you can do that, but it's going to hurt you. And because I love you, I don't want to see you get hurt. It's going to hurt me. Jesus could be like, no, I'm done with you. You go, you can choose to live that way, but I'm not going to suffer the pain of loving you while you hurt yourself. I feel there have been times in my life where Jesus is just like Eponine. Standing right next to me saying, I'm here, I'm right here, yet you don't even notice me. You don't even see me. But I'm going to keep loving you. In fact, I'm going to die for you. Because I love you that much. We as a church need to learn to have compassion for the world. Compassion for those family members that we love so dearly who are choosing to go and walk a different way and instead of cutting them off saying, you know what, I will stay with you and I will walk with you even though it hurts every single day. Because that's what true love does. Compassion for a world that is sinful, that needs the love of Jesus. And instead of us saying, you know, go live your life, we say, no, I'm going to sit next to you and I'm going to get to know you and perhaps even learn to love you. I don't want to speak for you, but for me, one of the reasons why it's hard for me to reach out to the world is because I know if I go and start to talk to somebody, I'm going to start caring for them. And then I'm going to start loving them and it's going to be painful to love them. We as a church need to start suffering for the sake of the world as we reach out in compassion for the world to be Jesus as Jesus is to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would pour out your love upon us that it might come like a violent wind, that it might move us, that it might change us, that it might be our world, your love for us. Lord, help us to remember our first love as a Christian. That we might then go out and love. Love upon us. In your name I pray. Amen.